I like which, it right away. This is oh, I mean, it's fascinating, right? Like, right. Yeah, because he basically thinks of human beings as super predators. He's like, we've taken over the planet. We're like an infestation. And oh, we should probably choose not to have kids. Hello, I'm Ed Begley Jr. And I'm willing to do anything to help the planet. I'll bathe in new shower water. I'll break the law to bury my compost. And I love my wife. And I'm Rochelle Carson Begley. Sometimes my husband drives me so insane, I want to break the law and him, but I love Ed. This week, we talked to environmental reporter and podcaster Ashley Ahern about reporting on environmental matters in the press. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Begley-esque. We are very excited to introduce you to today's guest, but first we have some listener updates that we just couldn't wait to share. Yes, we asked on Facebook for the highlights of your summer so far, and so a few of you have been posting photos and keeping us up to speed, and Jennifer said, I'm enjoying our solar cooker. Keeps my kitchen cool in this Florida heat. Wow, she's using a solar cooker. Bless you, bless you, and I know Ed is happy. I'm very happy, very happy. Yeah. Paul also posted, highlight of the summer so far, I found a bike helmet big enough for my humongous noggin. <laughs> I'm five foot seven, but based on the size of my head, I should be six foot eight. <laughs> a Target and even the local bike shops don't sell XXXL. Wow. As for goals, still need to redo this DIY fence I made and add an additional four feet to our planter box. Maybe my daughter will help me out. Maybe. Yeah, that's very thank you, cute. Paul. Yeah, thank we you. got all these visuals, and that's an interesting fence there, Paul. Okay, yeah, I thank will you admit. for sharing. <laughs> so you've been keeping and busy and making some great progress X, on your projects. X, X. Wow. Yeah, I you know I have such a pea head. I'm very tall. I'm five nine, and I have the head the size of a I don't know what would you say a baboon? No, no. Uh, and I, a bonobo. No, about what? Uh, perhaps a rhesus chimp. <laughs> I think you might I be micro. Very small head. How do you pronounce it? Microcephalic. I don't know. They the like people with big heads on TV. That's clearly why I'm doing a podcast. So there you are. You have a face made for radio, huh? That's right, baby. Well, thanks for sharing. Sounds like you've all been very busy and making some great progress in your projects. There's something you, your friend, have done this summer that we should all know about. Let us know on Twitter or Facebook or email us at begleyesk at gmail Could be a plant you grew, a vacation you took, even a movie you watched or a podcast you listen to, which also brings us to today's guest, the very lovely Ashley, I want to pronounce this right, Ahern. Ahern, you're an Irishman, you know how to say this stuff. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) Ashley Ahern, I I thought that was right. She's an (laughs) award-winning environmental reporter, host of the fantastic podcast Terrestrial, show that explores the choices we make in the world that we've changed. And since Ashley works at KUOW, the NPR station up in Seattle, we're recording this interview via that wonderful invention they call the Internet. Ashley, (laughs) thanks for taking time to chat with us. It's great to be here. Yeah, I was just going over because, you know, this little thing we call the Internet. I was on it just a minute ago and I was looking, you know, at your accomplishments and I was I feel a little um, intimidated here. eh? (laughs) You're way cuter, Rochelle. Oh, no, I saw you. You're adorable. But no, you really those are your topics on your podcast are so much smarter than ours, aren't they? You have you don't know everything about her is smarter than ours. (laughs) (laughs) I'm blushing in the studio. You guys cut it out. (laughs) So how are things up in Seattle? It's gorgeous right now. Don't tell anyone. We have oh. the highest highest increase in home prices pretty much anywhere in the country right now. And I think it's because people visit during the summer and think it's like this all the time. It's not. <laughs> I get up there from time to time. My son lives in Portland, so I get to oh, Seattle nice. quite a bit. When I work in Vancouver, I often drive up there. So I stop in Seattle and eat or spend the night. And I just love it up really. there. And Greg Nichols, your former mayor, is a dear mm-hmm. friend of mine. He's oh, a dear cool. friend of yours, really? Yeah. I've never met him. You don't know Greg. He's world famous, honey. He's one of those environmental mayors that changed the world about. We've uh, got a lot of those in Seattle. (laughs) You sure do. You've had one after another. Let's be honest. Well, that is Microsoft and, you know, and all those, you know, right. There's a lot of enlightenment up in Seattle and you're a major part of it, Ashley. Because it is. Even when it's not sunny, it's absolutely stunning with the water. Yeah, we love it up there. Yeah. Yeah, What made you get into environmental journalism? What was the impetus for that? Gosh, where did it start? So I grew up in Gloucester, Massachusetts, actually, um, which is a fishing town uh, north I of Boston. I've been to Gloucester. I love yeah. Gloucester. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. well, so when I was a kid in the 90s, the fisheries were collapsing. Did you the say the kid in the 90s? Okay, we are talking yeah. to someone very young. All right, I just have to adjust. <laughs> I just have to, yeah. okay, just to I was in, like, yeah, uh, middle school, you know, and so I was watching as, like, 
the fishing industry was was falling apart because of overfishing and um, the cod and the haddock and the flounder, all of it. Yeah. I seem to remember was in big trouble. Yeah, and it was it was one of those things where the scientists saw what was happening and they were doing papers and trying to warn people and the fishermen just kept saying there's there's plenty of fish out there just let us go and get them and you scientists don't know what you're talking about and I remember thinking and it wasn't until many years later that this kind of occurred to me but that there was this disconnect between the people who needed the natural resource and the people who studied the natural resource and that the role of journalists is to help connect those dots and help share that information with the general public that then you know puts the elected officials into power to to affect better policy so um I don't know. The media is important as much as this day and age. It doesn't feel like people necessarily think that way about us. Um, and I think science journalism and environment journalism is really important in our society. So that's why well, I do this. Yeah, good for you. And we are not of that. Uh, we don't prescribe to fake news. We believe that journalists are vital to a democracy, you know, Thank you. and uh, absolutely. That is uh, an incredible um, you're giving back in a big way to mankind. Right, Eddie? Yeah, the Society of Environmental Journalists, SEJ, that Mm -hmm. I know you're familiar with, is a great organization. I've helped them quite a bit. Gary Polakovic from L.A. Times is a dear friend of mine. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends who are environmental journalists, and it's very important work. You're really doing the Lord's work, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, thanks for supporting SEJ. I was on the board with them for a while, and they are just like, talk about providing a networking resource, like support system for journalists around the country covering this this beat in often places that are not very hospitable to that kind of coverage. It's it's a really important group. Do you know Andy Revkin, too, from New York New York Times? I met him at a conference a long time ago, but no, I don't know him personally. He's a wonderful fellow and a dear friend of mine. And oh, I've, good. I've, a great uh, journalist, really, that's for sure. He, he sure is, and, and so are you. So. Did, so did you, let me ask you, did you go into journalism in, in college and then just say this is the, the area <laughs> that you wanted to go, or you were environmentalist first and then? I've, I've never been an environmentalist, believe it or not. I was not one of the kids who was hugging trees. Um, my parents didn't take us camping really very much. Um, and then I actually, in college, I took one journalism class, and I kind of thought the kids that wrote the school paper were sort of nerds, and they all hung out with themselves and I was busy like rowing crew and partying and not paying as much attention to that stuff and then um, I graduated and realized I really needed a job <laughs> and I, I, know. I wrote um, I was a comparative literature major actually and uh, wrote my thesis on the feminine voice you'll like this Rochelle the feminine voice in Virginia Woolf and Marguerite de Ross right. and uh, yes French and English literature and I <laughs> You know, you get it bound and you hand it in. And I was like, nobody is ever going to freaking read this thing. <laughs> and That's why I, I never did it. That's right. Right there. Never bothered. Right. Yeah. So um, I, I got an internship at NPR and, um, and started learning how to tell stories with sound. And that, that's what I've devoted my career to. Wow, and then I did medium. I did a master's in uh, at USC. I lived in LA for a couple of years. In oh, your you did so, yeah. A master's yeah. in environmentalism or journalism or what? Uh, environment journalism. Yeah, so specializing in covering the environment with science as a, oh, um, so they have as a that. focus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a yeah, it's really there. part of the science beat, isn't it? I would think you know what what you're reporting on it. So much of it has to do with science. Uh, well, one yeah. would hope, right? Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly it, Rochelle. It's, it, the problem, I think, with a lot of environment journalism is it's become a place for activists to pose as journalists. Right. And, you know, I do not count myself as an environmental activist. I count myself as a journalist, and I'm interested in facts, and I'm interested in the best science to bring to bear on issues that we all face. And so finding that balance can be really hard, and that's where science comes in. Otherwise, you get stories that are like, well, the environmentalists say this, and industry says this, and, well, those are the two perspectives. <laughs> When you can bring in science, you can actually sort of get to the bottom of things and say, okay, like in the instance of Gloucester, how many fish, like what do the stocks look like? Like how can we answer this question in a way? Like can we fish in five years? How about 10 years? Or or is it going to be longer or shorter, you know? So, What's so all about the science. It, uh, I'm so fascinated by this period in history where people suddenly have this disrespect and disregard for science, you know, in yeah. so many key areas about the stories you're covering and many others, yet they, in some way, they must trust science because they get in an elevator. They, get, they go on a <laughs> they plane. They use a smartphone, right? <laughs> yeah, they use a smartphone. They go on a plane. So they yep. trust the science up at 31,000 feet in a metal box. So they're picking and choosing what it <laughs> is. Yeah, you're picking and choosing what scientists to right. trust. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think science is uh, far and away extremely trustworthy. There's very few things in recent history with the proper procedures and the proper scientific principles where p- people go uh, way wrong and stay there you know mm-hmm. there's so- peer review for a reason people look at yeah. it and they go well no I think this I know you postulate that that's the case but I think this and 
you build right. on it and good scientists, there's give and take and they go, well, thank you for pointing that out. I, I didn't think of that or I did. And here's why I think that's not true. And then it's published in Science Magazine or Nature Magazine. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it becomes something that's accepted. And now we're at a point in history where people don't like that process for some reason. They don't respect it. And that's, well, they, well, that's a big mostly problem. Mostly they don't read is the problem, too. They don't read. I mean, what I've, do we do about that? What do you think, Ashley? What do we do about this new thing where people just don't trust science? Oh, gosh. That is the million-dollar question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. an impossible um, question. I'm sorry. Yeah, if you asked me oh, the question, question, I would have the same reaction. It's a reaction. really good question. I mean, what do they say they call, <laughs> what's an expert? An expert is a smart person with credentials who agrees with you. <laughs> In oh, this day and age. That's, that's right. funny. That's very good. <laughs> that last bit is the most important part for so many people. And I think when you look at the media landscape and how it's it's become so fractured and fragmented that you can find whatever news fits your right. belief system, right? Exactly. Like you, it's not hard to do. And that's why I work for NPR because I do feel like there are certain places that are really trying to hold on to being a central, available, publicly available, publicly funded resource for people when and if they need it or just happen upon it on the radio dial, for Christ's sake, you know? Exactly. And those things are harder and harder to come by. Like when you listen to All Things Considered or Morning Edition, you get this like smorgasbord of different topics that maybe you didn't even know you were interested in as opposed to when I go through my Twitter feed and I follow a lot of environment and science news, I'm not getting exposed to the latest on like sports or other issues in society that we're thinking about business, the economy, these sorts of things. So, you know, it's about keeping your, your world wider. And I think that starts really young. And so I get really concerned when I hear things about efforts to get um, evolution no longer taught in schools, right? Or climate change <laughs> science questioned in at the elementary school or grade school level. And that's where you look at like the systematic dumbing down of the population and uh, and and you look at that as an opportunity, I think, to really affect change is like we should be making sure that the best scientific education is enforced across the country that I mean, if you were going to start somewhere, I guess, to your question, Ed, that would be kind of where my brain would go. Yes, that sounded really good. That sounded great. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, environmental literacy, scientific literacy right. is but very important. we all important. play our part. And like yeah. for me, instance, I'll just speak for myself. Yeah. Since I cannot speak for Ed, damn it, um, is that... <laughs> you can um, puzzle him. Oh, just you do anyway, honey. May not, may not be legal, but you do anyway. <laughs> you know, I came to uh, this topic, you know, in the back door, so to speak. Although I was named after Rachel Carson, you know, the mother of... I, I had wondered think, about that. That's yes, cool. Yes, my father did name me after this woman wow. who I didn't even know understand until obviously uh, until many many years later hmm. and I was probably married to Ed at the time I don't even know but <laughs> anyway but you know what we all have our own unique voice and that is you know mine is sort of like not I wouldn't say dumb blonde because I'm certainly anything but a dumb blonde I happen to be blonde and it's not natural okay but <laughs> but nonetheless so that's what the beauty of a podcast because mm -hmm. people aren't reading so they are listening and if they find you if they want to maybe find you know someone who is more like them they'll listen to me <laughs> if they want to mm -hmm. find someone who's a little smarter they'll listen to you and no, hopefully yeah, they'll listen to both of for us. everyone yeah yes yeah. because um because like for instance last night we went to see um the new, uh, the sequel to Inconvenient Truth. It's our second time we saw it. And, oh, you know, wow, Al, cool. Al What'd you think? There. Well, Very it's good. Brilliant. I really liked it a lot because they don't shy away from the challenges we face. They mm -hmm. talk about them. And a lot has changed since the, the last movie in 2006. But what they do near the end, about two-thirds of the way in, they start to focus on a lot of hope. And there's tiny, cool. it's peppered with some messages of hope throughout. But then they really wrap up the last third of it with a lot of hope about how much renewables is coming online, what we can do about this. We're not lost at sea here. There's actions we can take and, and a lot yeah. of stuff that we're, we're doing already to, is exactly. working. So they focus mm -hmm. on good news and I think that's important. And there's an event that happens you know, as, as documentaries have it, um, that is so exciting and you must see it for that reason. I won't tell you because it's, okay. it's too good and, and it's exciting. Well, tell me, just give me a clue. What event that happens? I'm <laughs> dying to think Gore generally what you're talking about. And India. Oh, yes. The thing about Al yeah, Gore. That's enough. Because it's a really exciting thing that happens. The and, nation okay. of India. Yes. Yeah. And okay. um, because, you know, he, it's like, okay, well, let's figure this problem out. Yeah. There's let's, some horse trading involved. And he knows yeah. a lot of people very high up in the yeah. world of finance and industry. Okay. That's and enough. He, yeah. yeah. Did, that's, you, that's, did that's I hear you guys are going to India? 
Uh, Rochelle wants to go to India. I would like to go too, but I'm th- cool. uh, right now I'm working and unable to go. But oh. uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll send Rochelle on a trip. No, as my you're going to maybe get your. There's what a about real, the carbon footprint, well, honey? Okay, what are we going to do about because that? Because what's happening? We need to support <laughs> India. I'm saving all this fuel here at our solar-powered house, and then I'm getting in a plane. And you'll see why in the obviously, and you know why we need to support India. They need support. Oh, I want to support India. I agree. Absolutely, and and Sadhguru, who's a guru there, is a big environmentalist and he's planting trees and it's about the rivers trying well, to restore the uh, area uh, one kilometer i think on each side of the river the, the river ganga right. and mm-hmm. many other important rivers throughout india there's a terrible drought and now because of the drought and because of the in, encroachment invasion on the banks of the river that it won't retain the moisture the way it when used the to monsoons with, when come, the monsoons come and what have you it just goes right out to the sea and there's not an area uh, adjacent to the river for it to be absorbed into the water table. So they Can I ask a to... question? Can I ask yes. a question, you guys? So why do you care about a river in India when the L.A. River is in so much trouble? Okay. Like why, why act, very, why act very local good as question. opposed to local for folks like you because guys? Because they are the, what is it, the canary in the mine, I believe. I mean, if they can do it, the world can do it. They are so... We do care about the the river here, and we do do things for the river. We've been very We're involved. We're very in, active with yeah. Folar, Friends of the Los Angeles yeah. River, and many other okay. river groups. So you, cool. your your question is a good it one. It is a good I, one. I, I kind of like to really address your question. I like to keep it all very local and yeah. to do everything I can local and but keep my carbon can, footprint down and, because, and focus on the areas because nearby. Because if we don't do something about India and China, we'll forget the L.A. River. It means nothing because we are not going it to be able to breathe. something, honey, Well, because but their can, soot is going up to... To Greenland. I agree. And that's why the, the ice sheet is melting. It's a community. It's a global community. So we community. didn't mean to fight over this, over your interview there. <laughs> no, no, it's an no. honest question. Yeah, no, it's always that question questions. of local no, versus global No, these are very good. Action. Yeah. I think we, normally we don't get opportunities to do global action. We were yeah. asked to do this as a favor. Yeah, they okay. came to so us and said, would you come and help reason. us get some attention with the different yes. ministers in each state, the, the many different states right. of India. There's 33 of them, I think, to start with that are along the areas that they intend to protect. Mm-hmm. I think there's how many states are there total in India? I can't we remember. Dis- 39, was it? Or there was six? Well, I can't remember. They're starting with 23 then. 29, starting, 39. I don't yeah, know. I think you said 29, Ed. I think so. Yeah. You listen to that podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Because right, right. I, I he said looked that, it up because I didn't know 16, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, they intend to start small and build and uh, and get some attention for it and some press for it. So I'm trying to engage the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation and others to take part in it. Cool. And uh, they want me to come there. We'll see if that can be worked out with schedule and carbon right. footprint and everything. But uh, Because these are these are bigger than us. This issue is bigger. And you know what? We do what we can. And when it's presented, and it's an opportunity. I've never been to India. God knows, uh, you know, I'd love to see it. But also, you know, they really need our help too. So, mm. you know, that's why. Because cool. it's there. <laughs> why yeah. did you go? You know, because why'd you climb the mountain? Because it's there. That kind of thing. <laughs> You know, well, I hope it's so, a great trip. That's thank exciting. you. And fingers crossed that we even go. Um, <laughs> so in with you, with your reporting, what kind of stories really draw you in as a reporter? Because I looked online and I saw some very diverse stories. Yeah, yeah. I've been kind of all over the place. I've been covering the beat for more than 10 years now. But with this new podcast, I think the realization for me was that climate change is such a big thing, like you were just saying, Rochelle. It's it's so hard to kind of wrap our heads around that I think people increasingly want to turn towards the personal and the local and the things that they can control and what the personal choices are that they can make. And so when I say personal choices, I'm not talking about like recycling, um, these right. kinds of more like you can Google that's that kind of information. I'm talking about the kind of like heart choices, like should we have kids or not? given where the planet's headed and what scientists are telling us about the future. Like, what are what are the ethics, the moral questions about bringing another person onto the planet? Or um, what do we do with our bodies when we die? Which I, Ed was talking about in the last episode, which I think is really, we did a whole episode about the idea you're of composting human right bodies. <laughs> I can't believe the attention to detail that you're remembering all of this or well, taking notes. Well, she listened to us. We, I yeah, wow. Yeah. I'm very I impressed, homework. Ashley. I do my wow. homework. We don't, but you... <laughs> um, But, you know, these kinds of personal questions, I think, are where I get really excited 
excited because I think that that's where we have agency as for my listeners in our lives. Um, there are these like giant questions that I want to explore about the science and kind of how the planet is changing, but I'm also kind of looking more and more for the the so what. And so what I say when people ask me, what is your podcast? I say, yes, it's a, it's a show that explores the choices we make in a world we have changed, or as I like to call it, it's the we're fucked now what podcast. <laughs> <laughs> With the emphasis on now what, because yeah, now I'm in what? the generation exactly. that's going to have to figure out how to live with this stuff that right. with the mess Correct. that frankly you you guys and your parents have made for us <laughs> thank Correct. you very much indeed, yeah you're right yeah. it's no no hard feelings but like this is the reality so what do we do this is what is well the yeah. show just for our listeners i want to make sure people know we're listening to our podcast it's called terrestrial and it's available on uh itunes correct yeah, Apple. thanks, Ed, for the shout out. I appreciate it. Now, Hell terrestrial. Yes, where it does again. I mean? I, I know extraterrestrial, but what is this? Where is the title? Where, how did you it get means of the Earth, honey? Oh, see, listen. Not everyone <laughs> knows that, and that's no, an important information. No, it's important. To it's get a that. fair I question, I think, and yeah. a lot of questions. people. Well, because we were when we tried to name this thing, you wouldn't believe how hard it is to name an environment podcast, and it yes, was you over did. my yes, I would. <laughs> over my dead body that I wanted like eco or green or I nature know. like all these buzzwords I that i think that's frankly for my generation it. are huge turnoffs like they don't we don't consider mm-hmm. ourselves environmentalists that's kind of like a lame word to describe yeah. yourself for a lot of people so no offense ed but like it's yeah. sort of like <laughs> it's sort of like young women not necessarily wanting to call themselves feminists it's like well Which i don't understand mind you so we can that's so, a whole nother conversation yeah no it is and, and i whole nother conversation and i call myself a feminist to be clear so i i'm Good. not necessarily okay. like on one side or the other of that okay. debate i just think it's interesting that these words have power. And so naming a show terrestrial was a real effort to get away from that kind of greeny branding and get more towards the idea of, like you said, we're all terrestrials. We're not extraterrestrials. This is our planet. This is where we live. This is what we got to figure out how to navigate. (laughs) Oh, that's great. I want to address something that just happened. You asked about terrestrial and I want to make it clear to everybody listening, our podcast, and I hope yours, there's no such thing as a bad question. There really isn't. No. Kids are born natural scientists. They ask great questions. When I was so a kid, true. people asked great questions like, why is right. an elephant so big? Why is the sky blue? <laughs> These are great, great questions. And there's answers for both those questions and many more. And when yeah. I was a kid, people would say, well, that's a stupid question. It's anything but. Those are great questions. What does terrestrial mean is a good question. And we need to make that make it comfortable for everybody of every age to ask those questions and learn. And then, of course, have a better understanding of science and other matters dear to, dear to them. Absolutely. Yeah. And isn't it funny that as we get older, we sort of get trained out of asking really basic open-minded yeah, questions in, we just don't want to appear stupid god forbid yeah. or get embarrassed you know I, I still remember some of my early interviews with scientists where I was really nervous you know like young or you know just kind of wanting to prove myself so badly and make them think that I wasn't a dope when I would go up and you know start rolling tape and I remember like I would ask these really like well-researched you know thought-out <laughs> questions and the scientists would give me these really wonky well-thought-out scientific answers and I'd come home with like an hour of worthless tape, like worthless that nobody would ever want to listen to. And finally, I realized that when you go into an interview sometimes and just ask those like basic questions, like, why do you care about this? Or how does this work? Um, right. I, or, or just admit that you don't get it sometimes. Like I get some really great tape that way. So we try to make it approachable in the podcast. Yes, I agree. I think I'm, I have heard a few, I haven't heard them all, <laughs> but your topics are f- you're, you sound great, by the way, on, uh, on, on <laughs> good voice for radio. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, it, it's true. And, you know, I can take my limited education, but my inquisitive mind mm-hmm. and uh, it's a plus in this in this arena. Right, yeah. Eddie? I think it's an advantage in many ways because I think there are so many people that don't necessarily like I lived in L.A. for a couple of years. Right. Like people in the Northwest, when you move up here, they say, oh, you must be so relieved to be to be free of L.A., (laughs) to be out of L.A. You know, you've come to like the great the great utopia that is the Northwest where we figured everything out. And I kind of smile and I just like I came up here for a job. I wasn't like jonesing to move to Seattle necessarily. And I just kind of laugh because the great thing about L.A. is like. Nobody gives a shit down there. Like, you guys are having so much fun. You know, it's like recycling is optional. If you have money, you buy organic, but it's not a big deal. Like, it's just, and the environment is not a top priority, I think. No, and up it's here, not. like, you you judge your neighbors if they don't put out their compost bin every week. Do you know what I mean? Like, right, right. That's funny. And you'd be right at home. That's, that's beautiful. I mean, that's great. And it is true. And you sort of, Ed always says, you know, you grow where you're planted and the work is here. 
Mm-hmm. So that's why I have to stay you here in the valley. Yeah, yeah I was right. born here, and I'm I have all my work here. So this is this is it for me for the duration. But importantly, I'm you're reaching people there, and you're bringing your ideas to a place that maybe those ideas are not, at least in my experience, are not as prevalent necessarily as they are, in, you know, at least up here. I would say. That's right. And I feel like, uh, you know, I and many others in L.A., you know, the community that I work with, you know, we've had an impact on the L.A. River, the amount of urban trees that have been planted and lots of other things that have occurred in L.A. You know, we kept it local and we've gotten a lot done. I want to emphasize a bit of good news. People tend to focus on the bad news about the environment. Since 1970, when I started with the first Earth Day, from that date to this, we have four times the cars in L.A., millions more people, yet we have a fraction of the smog. We all mm. did that together, me and countless others who cared about it, some who didn't care about it. They were part of it. They bought the cars that were cleaner cars because they were mandated to by California law. Right. But we all did that. Power plants got cleaner. Spray paint booths made things cleaner, less VOCs. It all worked. Everything we hoped would work did work. And now, again, four times the cars, millions more people, and a fraction of the smog. That's a success story. It is. And like when you guys were growing up, I mean, rivers were catching fire, right? Like I, in a way, I'm almost jealous of you guys and the environmental movement back then because the the threat was so clear and it was so imminent and like tangible. And in a way, climate change is one step removed in the sense that like, yes, can we connect climate change to superstorms? Can we connect it to drought? Can we connect it to wildfire? Sure. But we can't necessarily always say this one fire happened because of climate change. Or, you know, when you drive your car and you put your CO2 emissions into the atmosphere, you don't even see those emissions. It's not something that's real to you necessarily, but it's having a global effect. And it's such a challenge as a journalist to, like, communicate that and make that real for people sometimes. But you know what is very real for people? What? Cancer. Cancer is or emphysema or, you know, lung issues living in L.A. or Those are real things that get people's attention. Now, they don't always connect it to their environment. That's, the mm-hmm. un- that's where you come in. That's mm-hmm. where we come in. We connect up the dots that, you know, my brother-in-law died from bladder cancer and mm-hmm. a large, uh, yeah, and he worked in a steel mill in Alabama. Now, he was in computers but, and he never smoked really, but he was in a steel mill. Now, can I say definitively that that is why he is dead from, a, a, you know, the environmental impact of, and that's why he got his cancer, no, but I can't say it's not. And they have, and there, here's the science thing again. Um, they statistically have said that bladder cancer is, you know, a, a, that there is a large, um, what is the word? Yes, thank you. See words that you're so good at that. I'm good. <laughs> Too bad you can't see what I'm doing with my hands right now. But <laughs> you're connecting them. I know it. You're <laughs> just acting it out. Um, that you know that uh, the correlation between cancer and working in around steel mills. I don't know. Yeah, people don't see the correlation between what's happening in Greenland, they tend to go, what do right. I care what's happening it's in Greenland? But you yeah. go to Miami and you see what's right. you know beginning to happen you know, in Miami with uh, you know, the, the higher waters there and the flooding that they're having in Miami. They, they need to have some connection between what's happening in distant parts of the world and what's going to happen or has happened already in their neck of the woods. And mm-hmm. so that's where your important work and all the environmental journalists and the good journalists of every stripe are really doing their job. And, and uh, uh, you're heroes to me. All you fine journalists and... uh it just sickens me to hear the way some people are derisive of the press these days. It's it's a most unfortunate phase we're going through, and hope it's just a phase. Well, it's it's a very calculating uh, device. But look what happened in Turkey. Look what's happening in a lot of places all over the world. What do they do? They imprison their their uh, journalists first. Mm. I mean, that's how you get control. That's how you know. So yeah. I, no, know, I went I to I went to um, Standing Rock actually. Um, you guys to record. God for bless the podcast. you, Ashley. Good for you. God. Well, but it was fascinating in the sense that I heard in the camp that um, journalists were actually that the the cops, the the enforcement were targeting journalists. That they Makes would you know, if you were wearing a press pass, they would actually look for you. And um, I didn't go to the front lines when there were some clashes when I was there for in part for that reason. But it was a really yeah, it was a really profound. It's and an eye opener. And, and what you do is life you know i mean you're taking your life into your hands so that is i mean i don't know that i was any maybe crazy, not in seattle in any crazy but you, danger yeah but 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 yeah but that's why why do you go to india you know i'm gonna pull it back i'm going to <laughs> sure draw back to that because um you know there's work to do and if we can bring in any kind of awareness and and add some whatever i don't know that anyone knows 
Ed in India, but but uh, that means mm-hmm. something to someone, and someone asked, and so if that has sure. any, you know, so why not? You know, um, your husband's a big deal, Rochelle. I'm sure they know him in India. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ashley, for telling her that. All she those... hasn't quite figured that out yet. I'm huge, and she doesn't. She's the only person that doesn't Bollywood understand. All those Bollywood movies. He's That's done, why you keep know? her around, Ed. That's important. That she keeps <laughs> me in my place. That's right. Damn sure. Right, baby. Keeps me humble. You know? That's right. But what kind of guests do you want on your show? I mean, what are you looking, how do you pick the people? We, we pick people like, oh, you're, you're talking about the environment or you're a friend or how are you mm. going about? Because you find a subject matter that you're interested in or? Every episode really starts with a question for me uh-huh. and usually a personal question. And then I kind of go from there. So I find who, are, you know, who are the most interesting voices that I could bring to bear to answer that question. So my husband and I have been married for three years and we're thinking about having kids. And so that was a personal question for me that I'm, I wanted to explore. Like, should you have kids given what we think is happening with the planet, we know is happening with the planet? And uh, so I started talking to all these different people and, and we interviewed some really interesting like young couples who are having kids despite concerns about climate change. One couple that's not having kids because of climate change. And then I also found this dude who started a Facebook group, group called the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. God. <laughs> oh God. I like Which, it right away. This is oh, I mean, it's fascinating, right? Like, right. Yeah, because he basically thinks of human beings as super predators. He's like, we've taken over the planet. We're like an infestation and oh, we should probably choose not to have kids and voluntarily go extinct. He's not advocating for like killing anybody or anything crazy like that, right. but he is saying like just just don't do it. Just don't have kids. Well, he probably shouldn't reproduce because uh, he's not very happy, but I don't know. No, well, I mean, yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, we're going to need leaders for the, you know, we're going to need people who are aware and care and all of that. Mm-hmm. And we had a child, Ed and I, and she's 17 mm-hmm. and she's very conscientious and, you know, wants to write and act and all of those things. Of course, yeah. she's here in L.A., but she she will carry on. She will be a good steward of the planet. She will be mm-hmm. a good citizen. So. Yeah. But know. this guy, I don't know, honey, you say you think he's not happy. Maybe he's a very happy person. He Maybe just he has is. a different I, point of view. He has a different point of view. Therefore, right. he is unhappy. No, I'm kidding. But you, no, can make but a, <laughs> you can make a good case for what he's saying, and uh, others make a case for having children to have, as you say, right. responsible people on the planet of a certain right. percentage. Uh, right. But uh, it's a very valid point that he's making, and uh, I, you know, he... He might be very happy-go-lucky guy in doing it. Right. Well, so, and that was the goal of the episode, was to just explore multiple perspectives on this question and not to ever tell anybody, here's what you should do. Like, that's not the point of this podcast. And honestly, having kids is such a personal decision that I don't absolutely. judge. I'm one of four, right? Like, I don't have any stones to throw from this house in terms of overpopulation. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, me either. But I don't the like... interesting thing is that when I came out with this episode, I was attacked. Like, people people were trolling me on Twitter and saying, like, we're, we're so glad that your genes are not going to be in the gene pool. Oh they basically. God read the headline and assumed that I was I've chosen not to have kids which the truth is like we haven't made our decision and we don't know if we're going to have kids or not it was simply an exploration of a, a question a sincere question you know and so that's where it gets really interesting people get so emotional and that's when you know you have good content and good stories that that people are latching onto, and it's making them think and some people when new ideas are presented just get really uncomfortable and they lash out <laughs> that's just kind of unfortunate I, yeah I've seen a lot I believe of that me myself. I deal with yeah. it every day yeah Eddie so. so listen you know um yeah we we uh, definitely don't agree we agree with our guests that but we don't always agree with each other but um <laughs> Do you have you ever found anyone that you've really just not agreed with? Well, I mean, it was I will tell you an interesting story. Um, when I was reporting the baby episode, as we call it, I interviewed a young Catholic couple from Boulder, Colorado. And um, at one point in the interview, we didn't use this in the episode, but at one point in the interview, I mentioned to them that I have an IUD. And um, this young, I think he's 25 year old Catholic man, uh-huh. the, the husband, said that he was really sorry for me. Oh, yeah. That I that I had to put metal in a part of my body that should not ever have metal in it. And oh, that was one of those moments where I had to just kind of bite my tongue because my personal feelings about it are that every woman should be able to choose her own reproductive future. And absolutely. that an IUD is a really important way of being able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't part of the story. Right. And that wasn't the I wasn't there to pick a fight or to debate an issue with him. I was there to gather his perspective and represent it as fairly as I could in the episode so that listeners could then draw their own conclusions like that is my sincere goal so that's, that's good an example journalism. i guess good on you that's the way to do it good for you yeah and we didn't put that into the episode because it wasn't relevant you know but it was an interesting exchange for me wow now are there any resources or documentaries or shows that you've seen recently that you want to share about or that just things that people can get more information about your um, topics 
about my topics. Gosh, um, there's so many. Uh, and I think the challenge is finding stuff that doesn't just make you want to tune out. I mean, I was talking to my right. friend of mine, a friend of mine here at work, and he was like, you know, I, I get it. Like, I'm worried. I, I know the environment. We're screwing it up. And he was like, honestly, though, like, I never want to click on those stories. I never want to listen to those stories. And uh, like, I've been doing this for more than 10 years. I reached a point where I didn't want to listen to my own stories. And that was when I knew I had a problem. <laughs> so that's why we started the podcast is try to do more uplifting, not necessarily like Pollyanna, but just like future looking ahead, proactive right. type storytelling as opposed to the doom and gloom. But that said, I did watch a really cool documentary the other day um, that I would highly recommend. It's called Chasing Coral and it's on Netflix right now. Oh, right. We were just talking yeah. about that. Yeah, we love it's Chasing really Ice. You saw yep. Chasing Ice, I'm sure. Yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah. And now I want to see Chasing Coral. It looks yep. very, very good. I would yeah. recommend it. I would. I would uh, yeah. It. And I'm a diver. I'm a scuba diver. Oh, so cool. it's something that's very dear to me. I've been around coral reefs all over the world. And uh, so I definitely want to see this one. I yeah. really get scared about diving. I, that whole like relying on something else for oxygen yeah, really either. freaks me Ain't out. Ain't happening. It's but I really happen. want to, I would love to see that part of the planet so much. But this movie was really cool. Yeah. For that reason, you could really, they got some amazing footage of coral and it was beautifully shot. So, yeah, no, we're, it's definitely on our list to see. I mean, no question about it. Now, are you, since you are an environmental journalist, do you have a uh, f- opinion about diet or any of that? Because, you know, just this is where I go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> diet, yeah, fashion, no, is, hair. No, I'm kidding. But No, because people do want to know. That I get asked this stuff all the time. Yeah. Like, oh, well, are you, are you a vegetarian? And like, you fly in airplanes. And it's sort of like, listen, I'm not a model citizen. I'm not a model environmentalist because I'm not putting myself out there as like this poster child for what sure. to do. I'm putting this myself out there as like a flawed human being who's asking questions with you um, because that's the truth. <laughs> and right. I think that, um, you know, yeah, I do eat meat, but I do try to at least like buy it at the farmer's market or someplace where I sure. feel like that animal probably had a good life. I don't eat bacon or pigs because I just feel like they're they're really freaking smart and that just feels bad <laughs> right but you know to be honest like I'm also privileged in the sense that I can go to a farmer's market and buy more expensive meat and the Absolutely. vast majority of people that need protein in this country can't necessarily afford that and so um, I think with it comes a healthy dose of like just a reality check that we can talk about these lofty decisions that we should be making we should all be making but the truth is being sustainable can often cost more than just getting by and the, what you would spend your money on on the day-to-day so I'm so glad you're saying all this because some of the trolls occasionally come after me about things about imperfections that we all have. And I've never once from 1970 to date talked about anybody having to do things perfectly. Certainly not myself. I started as a broken, struggling actor in 1970, didn't have a lot of money. I just started riding my bike and taking the bus and composting and doing all the simple stuff that I could do, you know, turning the thermostat down in the winter and up in Mm -hmm. the summer and Mm -hmm. doing all those kinds of things that were just easy and cheap. And right away I started to save money. And, uh, you know, nobody is perfect. I mean, Cesar Chavez, uh, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, everybody had their flaws. These are saints among uh, that walked among us. But they even these wonderful saints had their their flaws and that makes them all the more real. So I would never compare myself to any of those people, of course, but I I'm highly imperfect. And I just you are, honey, (laughs) I will go ahead. She'll vouch for that. But I recommend (laughs) that people people do what they can. That's all I've ever said at every speech, every article. Do what you can. That's what I did back in 1970 when I was broke. And I continue to do now that I have more resources. I do everything I can. If everybody did what they can, this whole thing about flying. I get it, Ed. There's Mm -hmm. a carbon footprint and I understand it. But there are things one must see or should see. And to, I hate to say it, but until we figure out another way for those airplanes to get from here to Delhi or Mumbai or wherever, we're going to have to rely on a plane to a degree if you want to get there. It's not you know. like, are you saying I never fly? No, no, I flew. No, no, we no, went no. to. I know, the, you do fly. But, I'm, but, but sometimes the event trumps hate to say the word you know you have to do things sometimes mm-hmm. yes and that's why i get in a plane on occasion yeah. it's it's that important and i must and, yeah. and so i understand that but i mostly don't fly for that reason to try to minimize it but i, I go on a case-by-case basis yes. and i think can i get there right. you know can i right. buy some carbon offsets and yep. many people are derisive of these carbon offsets they say it's like paying somebody else to eat broccoli where you have ice cream <laughs> well in the case true. of the plane flight you know that i have to be monday in la and tuesday in new york there's no broccoli available 
You right. know, there really isn't. Right. You've got to get there in less than 24 hours. So it's not like you're paying somebody to eat broccoli and you have an ice cream. It's the only well, game in town. And I think what it highlights is that we live within a system and that is the system. Like we have, you have a career where you have to get around. I have a career where I have to get around. Do I try to take the train? I'm looking at, I'm coming down to LA in October and I'm actually thinking about taking the Coast Starlight and it's going to take like 35 hours, but that would be a fraction of my carbon footprint. And so I actually met this really interesting scientist the other day who's, um, she did the math. She basically looked at like our individual carbon footprints and she stopped flying in continental Europe. She lives in Sweden. She no longer flies except once a year to go home to California to see her family. And that one flight dwarfs her other carbon emissions. Sure. And so I had, I had this, to mention it, didn't you, Ashley? I'm liking I you know, until then. But it's, but it's, it's a all bummer. True. But it's like, just facts. Right. And you know but, what's the cool, the interesting thing, though, is that, like, I was talking to a friend of mine who's, they're libertarian gun owners, just like, I love hanging out with this couple because they always, like, challenge my ideas about things and have really interesting perspectives. And she was like, it pisses me off when liberals, environmentalists, whatever, you know, bitch and moan about people who drive trucks or SUVs, maybe in parts of the country where they need trucks or SUVs, and then they get into an airplane and fly for their next meeting. Because honestly, if you do the math, like that one airplane flight, you could drive like 18 SUVs all year and might equal out, you know, in terms of your carbon emissions from that one flight. So... I don't know. It's, you can it's stop a good now. chance. It's a good chance to look in the mirror, though, you know, and just be no, like, no, like Ed true. was saying. Like, of course it is. we do our best, but this, we live within a system, and this is we like do. What we and, do. And all of, um, I might add that you know, Al Gore does have to fly quite often, a lot. all over the world. So does Leonardo and we, DiCaprio. We I mean, want him to, and he has a carbon offset, um, mm-hmm. and is mentioned in the. You you can't do a documentary about India unless you go to India. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, until there is a different system. Well, in this case, he went to Paris, and the people. But no, from I, India but he did go to India. No, right. no, he was in India. You didn't see Delhi. Remember? Oh, all that's those? right. He yeah. He went to Delhi. Oh, he goes all over. He goes all over, and in and I want him to go all over because there's bigger issues. Because there's a big prize to change things yes. in a meaningful way in India. I understand, Absolutely. and you're correct, honey. But I just that's why. There's no perfection from any of us. You do yeah. the best mm-hmm. you can. You take it on a case-by-case basis. And when you must fly, or you must take a yeah. Prius trip, or must, as I often do, and I urge you to do it, I take the Coast Starlight myself. I take well, Amtrak cross-country, and I've done it many times. Wow. You know, I take the train as much as I can. And so that's, that's all it's about, making mm-hmm. the best choice from the options that are available in the real world. Right. And that's what we all must do. And if we all did that, we'd be much better I off. I have had people scream at me on stage, me being on stage and them being the, well, not people, this one crazy guy, um, about <laughs> me not being a vegan and how hypocritical that is. Mm. And you know what? It's just the way it is. I'm not a vegan. Mm-hmm. Do I eat predominantly vegan? Predominantly, yes, Absolutely. But um, I'm not going to profess to be something I can't do. Yeah, there's do. no reason to attack somebody <laughs> well, And I think that you. the environmental movement has had, has had a real branding problem because, you know, since the 70s, I think environmentalists have been viewed as sort of Puritans and that, that that's, a, that's a life calling and you get that sort of holier-than-thou. What was the joke, Ed, when you were on The Simpsons about powering your car through, like, car, self-satisfaction? Yeah, powered by my own sense of self-satisfaction. <laughs> right? like, I mean, we make fun of that, but that, I think, is what turns a lot of people off of the environmental movement and being environmentalist because the truth is anybody who grew up by a creek or knew spent time right. outside is an environmentalist on some level but they just don't Correct. want to consider themselves that because they feel like they're flawed and they're not going to do everything right and i think that you know my generation is sort of like you know approaching this from a little bit more of a post-apocalyptic sense that like we live in a world where certain changes are built in they're baked in this is going to happen and we're not all perfect and we have to get by within this system so how do we do that and how do we not how do we get over this sort of like self flagellation you know just like self-criticism and feeling like we're not going to solve the big problems so why bother at all i mean you got to start somewhere that's, that's why i give props every speech i give every article I write, nearly everyone I write, I always give props to my wonderful dad. He was a conservative that liked to conserve. He was a Republican and I am not, uh-huh. but he taught me all this stuff. Turn off the lights, turn off the water, save strings, save right. tinfoil. Right. You know, son of Irish immigrants, he lived through the Great Depression. He mm. instilled all that in me and he never used the word environmentalist, but he was right. one, of course, by the right. way he lived. So that's my all it's about. My father was a, re- a conservative Republican from Atlanta, Georgia, named mm-hmm. me and after Rachel Carson. And grew a lot of Carson. his own food. Yeah, and had always, lived- had right. a far- always had a garden. He and I got along great. He was yeah. a wonderful <laughs> fellow. Yeah, yeah, he was. He just had crazy views. About- and he used to watch Fox News. Although in the end, before he died, he did say, maybe uh, we shouldn't have gone into Iraq. So he did have a moment of clarity. But, uh, you know, 
But anyway, I think the, the overlap between kind of like radical self-sufficiency off gridders between radical environmentalists and radical like Bundy types, the Venn diagram, like there's a real overlap there if you actually look at it that I find fascinating. This this idea of like the system is broken, we need to think of new ways to do things. And it does involve sort of breaking with the accepted norms that we're going to get our power from coal or we're going to be, you know, flying airplanes everywhere. Or we're going to be buying big, big food from big, big ag. And, you know, these kinds of questions that I think more and more people are are asking or becoming aware of, there's more crossover than we think between conservatives like your dad at your both of your dads and like people who don't who do consider themselves environmentally minded right those are all good questions absolutely now yeah. health is also interlinked with the environment how do you take care of yourself physically and mentally how do you keep your center uh, metabolically and and mentally i do um a lot of trail running and yoga i would say are the the two uh, my favorite things to do and mountain biking when I can get out. But I mean, Seattle's a great city to be able to kind of access those things. So yes. um, I don't kid myself that that's not necessarily something that everybody has at their fingertips, especially in an urban environment. But um, yeah, those are probably my top two. Yeah. That's, that's How about a good you guys? Ones. I, I like to ride my bike. I mm-hmm. like to go up in the Santa Monica mountains and ride my bike. And, you nice. know, I have a, a quiet time every day. I have a Zen experience that requires some brain power, too, that I do. It's part of my serenity. I do the crossword every day. I get great (laughs) pleasure from that. I don't know if that's really uh, rightly considered a Zen experience, but I get a lot out of it. (laughs) Well, you sort of zone out. So is that sort of I do. I have my I'm very good at zoning out and just thinking about nothing. And uh, and that's an art form in this day and age. Now that we have smart phones. I'm really good at it. And I know every day I've done the best I can to make the world a better place. And uh, and I I rest easy knowing that I've done my best and and I get a lot of serenity out of that. Oh, God, I'm so not there yet. I have a very, very (laughs) busy mind and I'm constantly thinking about things to do or not to do or what to blah, blah, blah. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm really good in community. I really like being with people, I do. Mm-hmm. So, I, I well, one, physically I do Pilates. So I do love Pilates because mm-hmm. that is probably a moment where I have to sort of narrow my focus. Yeah. Like you and yoga. You know, I do love yoga, but yoga takes an hour and a half and Pilates <laughs> takes about 55 minutes. Okay. And, and I've done it for so long. I've been doing it since 1980. And so... Oh, nice. That's why, and I also want to go to India to do more yoga, but and to meditate and all of those things, which I can't seem to find the time to do here for some reason. Honey, I'll I... buy you a ticket. I'm sending you to <laughs> India whenever you want to go, starting today. I gotta Let's say, I book. suck at meditation. I don't know how I, I really know. like that whole like quieting of the brain. The only time yeah. I come even close is actually when I'm either snowboarding or uh, motorcycling. Is like the moments where my brain is just fully because I think those are activities where you have to just to like make sure Better, you stay alive. Yeah, it's like exactly. be fully focused on what you're physically doing and you're moving so fast and I think those that's as close as I can come to that kind of quiet brain space right so I think me just being alive in LA and married to Ed is (laughs) is my focus how do I just do it one day at a time anyway that but you know that they're all very important because as we know stress is is causes as much illness as uh, you know genetics and environment I mean mm-hmm. stress is a killer so we do need these outlets and it, we can't we just do our part like you say you know we, it's certainly you know the environment is a very big topic uh, or the okay we I'm trying to use a different word than environment it's been so <laughs> taboo but you know it is what it is. Yeah. You know, no, 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 you know what I we mean. We care not, yeah. about the, I just care. I care too much. And it, then you become overwhelmed and you say, screw it. I'm not even going to think about anything. I'm just going to watch Netflix. Right. <laughs> In right. this case, we'll, we'll be watching Hulu because Ed's new show is on Hulu. So we'll be watching. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So. Well, where can our listeners find your podcast? Uh, you can head to KUOW.org slash terrestrial, or you can just go to iTunes and type in, or wherever you get your podcast, just type in terrestrial, and it's a red banner with white font, and it'll pop right up. What about Twitter and Facebook, your social oh, media? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm on Twitter and then we oh you know what's been really cool we started a Facebook group not just a page so it's not about just pushing content out you have to ask to join and we accept everybody of course and then people can people are really like talking to one another though because they've really? chosen to be there yeah it's super <laughs> cool like no I, I know that sounds obvious but I'm I'm you know my background is like you do a story you put it on the radio you push it out into the world and people like hear it right yeah. and now with podcasting it's a much more two-way street as I'm sure you guys are experiencing where like you hear from listeners and they give you feedback and then right. on this Facebook 
Facebook group where people can join of their own choice. They can ask questions specifically, give us ideas for episodes, you know, get a lot of we got so much feedback on the episodes we did and like frankly kind of changed my perspective. We did the baby episode and all these people were like, well, you didn't talk about adoption. Why didn't you talk about adoption? I was like, you know, we should have. And I'm really glad people got in touch and told me about that because now I'm more open to the idea, frankly, personally, about maybe adopting someday. So it's been a really cool learning experience for everybody. Yeah. Social media is important. And uh, we're just so happy to cross-pollinate with you here today, Ashley. (laughs) Let's let's regroup and find out if we've uh, had any good updates or something, if there's been any progress. You know, we need each other. That's the bottom line. You know, mm-hmm. we do, we, you know, and... Wait the, a minute, Rochelle, you're I, no, saying no, no, you I'm need me I in the slightest? I, I didn't say you. Oh, I not me. Okay, <laughs> I got confused for a second. I thought she was actually saying she didn't need me, that I had some it's value. Ashley's Carry on, obviously sorry. obviously much smarter and down. younger than I am. <laughs> and we do need to laugh, too, because uh, mm-hmm. otherwise you'd cry. So, you know, with that, let's stay in touch. Yeah, I'd love to. I'm going to be down there in October. I'd love to see you guys. Maybe you come maybe by, come, come and, and visit and see the Lee. Got to see the house. Home. Yeah, the Lee. Yeah, yeah you anytime. House. You got an open invitation, Ashley. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> All right, for awesome. Sure. All right. Great talking well, to you guys. Lovely talking you to too, you. You too, Ashley. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Ashley, we love chatting with you. There were some great takeaways from the things you said. We talked about someone who was going to be probably a comparative literature major and went into environmental. She just happened to get a job at NPR and then she, you know, was a journalist and the environment caught her fancy. So, you know, sort of like what happened to me when I was going to be just, you know, minding my own business and I met Ed and hence uh, the environment became pretty important in my life. We talked to Ashley about not letting perfection stand in the way of progress where people actually do what they can and enjoy that and not try to feel hypocritical because they haven't done everything. That's an important attribute. And, right. she, and we, yes. she's good at that. And we talked about science. And, and, and a respect for science right. and a love of science, which uh, many people have. And what, most importantly, she said, there is no such thing as a stupid question, which made me feel very good, by the way. Because, you know, you have... Because it's true. You yeah. should You well, should. Well, you've accused me of a few stupid questions. But it's okay because, um, you know... That's just for comedy. That's, yeah, that's just right. stick <laughs> Yeah, because I, sometimes I do feel stupid, and so therefore I won't ask. But the truth is, um, if you do ask, you get the answer. Usually correct. it's a, a correct answer, and sometimes it's not. But, you know, you, no pain, no gain. If you don't ask, you don't, uh, you don't get. All right. That's all for this week. Before we go, we wanted to let you know that we'll be at Podcast Movement in Anaheim on August 24th. We'll be on the panel that's called Untapped Resource for Social Change with other great podcasters. We're starting conversations about important issues. So if any of you are going to be there, stop by and say hello. We're very excited to be there. But in the meantime, make sure you subscribe to Begley Ask on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you know someone who doesn't mind hearing us talk about saving the planet or getting healthy or... Uh, in this most cases, strangling one another, uh, share the podcast with them because we do argue a bit, um, but that's, that's okay. It's life. But do a little, do a lot. Just do something today and tell us what you did. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you to our executive producer, Tim Street, and producer, Emma Kikuchi. This podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.